Well, thank you so much, Chef, for, for joining me today. Really excited to talk about an industry that is in all of our lives, right? Every single day, everybody uses the internet. And obviously, there's people around the world that still don't quite have access. And, and even in the developed world, there's still many people in many communities that don't have access to, you know, really good high-speed internet. Um, and, and so before we get into what Starry is and its sort of mission and vision, talk a, talk a little bit about your journey. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been around communications industry pretty much most of my career. My first company was um, supplied software to the cable industry and uh, ultimately was acquired by Microsoft. But so I've been in the industry for gosh, starting 2000, so 22 years at this point. And, um, you know, it's a fascinating industry because it's uh, it's essential, right, at, at yep. one level. It's non-discretionary. And, you know, as a business, it could be a very attractive business. Obviously, it's difficult to do these things just because the amount of money you need to raise and the amount of technology you need to develop. And, you know, it's, sure. it's physical work, right? It's not basically, you know, it's not like a software company that's just making an app or something like that. You know, kind of you go into it and say, okay, uh, you know, this is interesting as an industry. It is very powerful because you have this connection with the consumers uh, 24-7. And there are pockets of opportunity. And, and in particular, you know, for Starry, we sort of looked at it and said, okay, if we can innovate and create really interesting technology that can lower, solve for some basic issues, which is lowering the cost of building a network, number one, then we've got a shot at it. And in particular, you know, our focus is urban areas, just because of the technology we're using. And in, in the United States, the government has a lot of focus and, and funding, if you will, for the rural parts of the country, but for urban, not really till about now where, you know, the government is talking about affordability in these things. So we, uh, you know, when we were starting the company, collectively thought there would be an opportunity as the cable guys continue to raise prices, service is terrible, as you mentioned, there will be a pocket of opportunity uh, to serve urban customers with the technology that we've built. And obviously, as you think about urban, um, you think about, uh, you know, various areas in urban and in, in the urban infrastructure, and including, you know, affordable housing or other types of uh, housing that is targeted towards people with uh, lower income, less opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, you know, in the holistic way, as we sort of think of, thought about it, it made sense to go into the sector, start a company and put the mission front and center. And the mission being obviously uh, providing affordable connectivity to all. You know, that journey started and, and uh, we built the technology. It took us about four years, a couple hundred million dollars investment in R&D. Oh, um, wow. And um, yeah, that's what I'm, you know, these these in, these kinds of companies are hard to do because, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's a lot of money and a lot of risk and all those kinds of things come into play. Well, that's um, probably why there haven't been much innovation because it's so hard to to get into it that, you know, people, you know, founders will just choose to kind of go somewhere else and, and build something you know, faster, quicker, you know, much cheaper for them to, do not have to raise as much capital. It takes some vision, you know, and it takes a... It, it, it also comes down to kind of what are you really solving for as a person right. and right. as a team? You're solving for making quick return or you're solving for a meaningful impact and uh, right. hopefully a great return as part of that, right? So if, if you put both into the calculus, then you say, okay, uh, which tends not to be an innovation cycle, right? Most uh, innovation right. type companies are focused on uh, whatever the latest trend is and how to drive a quick return. Wait, I want to kind of talk about the technology a little bit here. I guess, how is it fundamentally different than traditional sort of, you know, fiber that you have to break the street up, right, to, to build these fiber optic cables to get you know, high-speed internet to to houses, specifically in, in urban areas, and obviously it's the same or rural, there's just, you know, longer 
you know, fiber pipes, I guess you can call it. But I, I guess how is Starry fundamentally different from a technology standpoint? Like what is those four years? What have you been building? Yeah, so um, what ends up happening is the most expensive part of the network is the last mile. And so what we do is we say, okay, so let's just focus on that for a second. The middle mile, you can get lots of fiber uh, from existing third-party providers, both in very competitive rates, just because a lot of that fiber got built for serving the mobile industry. Yeah, um, okay. And so, okay, so you've got the middle mile fiber and that's available to you. Uh, and then you say, so let's solve the last mile problem. And what we did was we said, okay, in you know, a couple of governing principles, we, if we're going to solve the last mile, then the most logical thing to think about is doing it wirelessly. If you're going to do it wirelessly, it comes with different constraints. What kind of a spectrum are you going to use? Because wireless obviously depends on, you know, license spectrum from the FCC, the federal government. So what are you going to use? And uh, that spectrum also comes in diff different kinds of flavors. It comes in you know, what is called mid-band or low-band, meaning that's that's what the cellular companies use, for example. It propagates really, really well, but the problem is it's incredibly expensive. So, you know, if, if you look at these companies have spent billions upon billions of dollars, for example, like in the last auction, I think Verizon spent like $52 billion in acquiring Spectrum. So again, as, it, as you're innovating, yeah. you're coming into the market with a couple of pennies in your pocket, if you will. You don't have billions of dollars to go buy Spectrum. Uh, so you look elsewhere. So we decided to focus on what is called high frequency of millimeter wave spectrum, meaning it's, it's you know, several orders of magnitude higher in frequency than the, what you use for television or mobile phones and things like that. And this spectrum uh, has been largely sitting fallow uh, in the country and in the world. And the, the good news about that spectrum is there's a lot of it and you can have uh, large, you know, what we call channel sizes in the business, mainly because the bigger the pipe, the more stuff you can jam through it, right? Uh, the, pro the negative is it doesn't go very far and it gets impeded with buildings and walls and trees and all kinds of things. So you really have to sort of design the technology with those kinds of considerations in mind. So basically Starry took those kind of technolo technological approaches, built the radio technology uh, for the last mile using uh, what has historically been fallow, you know, undervalued spectrum to start building a coverage fabric, if you will, in city and urban areas. And we started in Boston first in 2019, and then have slowly been expanding throughout five or six different cities. That allows us to have coverage in cities that allows us to then go into, you know, and, and knock on people's doors and say, hey, you know, this is a new alternative. Are you interested, obviously? And, and uh, you know, as you point out, you know, there's a lot of uh, customer dissatisfaction. So you end up, um, you know, winning a lot of customer share as part of that. Uh, so the real innovation in this has been, you know, typically if you're rolling out fiber, you're counting on billions and billions of dollars going into a city, yeah. um, digging yeah. up trenches and this and that. And so the biggest and big, big, big innovation that we've done is that we can build a network at 1% of the cost of what it would cost you to do a fiber network. Once you lower the cost that dramatically, what that allows you to do is to turn, you know, try to get turn profit and have a return at a much lower customer take rate, right? So typically if you're building a fiber system, you're, you need 40 to 50% of the customers in the area to take your service for you to make a return, uh, which you know, it's really hard to do against, you know, if there's a big cable provider in the market, et cetera, et cetera. So for us, with this innovation, we can turn a profit at, you know, four or 5% of the company, uh, sorry, customers taking, or turn break even at four to 5% of the customers taking the service, which allows you to then have a investable profile uh, that you can pitch to investors. 
so, you know, it's a long sort of process of, so, and these kinds of companies, you know, they don't happen overnight, right? You're, right. you're working with the FCC for years trying to figure out when the options are going <laughs> to be and when Spectrum is going to come in. So it's, it's a, it's a great business in that sense that, you know, most logical human beings avoid this kind of crap, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so competition is less of a problem. And, you know, if you figured it out, then it's, it's an incredibly exciting, you know, set of opportunities. Yeah, no, absolutely. You mentioned cities. What goes into a new city? Is that, is it just looking at, you know, market research in, in a specific area or is it, do you have to go to governments first, right? Like what's the type of interaction with a city or a state when you go into a new city? No, no interaction necessary, really, okay. because what okay. you're really doing is uh, you're, if you were using what are called private right-of-ways, uh, sorry, public right-of-ways, which thinks like, you know, municipal furniture, think, you know, utility poles, think, you know, traffic lights and whatnot, then you need to work with the city. But if you're not, and you're using private infrastructure, uh, which is what we do for, so things like, you know, cellular towers or roof stops of private buildings, things along those lines. You don't really need permission with the mm -hmm. exception of local zoning. But yeah, so it's actually a fairly, um, you know, seamless process. It just takes money. Uh, so you go in right. and you cut deals with, you know, companies like American Tower, Crown Castle, and, you know, people that provide vertical infrastructure. You pay them a monthly rent. And gotcha. that monthly rent allows you to basically bolt your radios on their towers and rooftops and whatnot and um, go from there. We talked about you know, affordable internet, urban areas, digital divide to me is, you know, is a, is a big uh, issue for me because I think just access to the internet and can change a person's life, literally. I mean, it changed my life. So, you know, I, it just has that power. As COVID sort of <laughs> obviously really, really just destroyed sort of the way we move, right, in the world, the way we go to school, the way we parent, the way we do our jobs, all these different things. What was those couple of years like when that sort of happened? Being you know, being a, a provider of, of internet, right? And, and that infrastructure, which, which was so needed then, I, I guess what, what was those years like for you, for you and the company? Did you see a lot of growth there? And, and was there, you know, opportunity to really sell your mission and vision during that time? Um, you know, it was a really interesting sequence of events for us. On one hand, uh, there was a lot of, you know, we nearly doubled the size of the company, by the way, through that period in 2020 itself, yeah. and again in 2021. But it was a real interesting uh, set of circumstances where on one hand, you had this sort of, you know, need for more internet, more affordable, more connectivity. The FCC was putting out calls for companies to not disconnect people, providing subsidy. Um, yeah. You know, we all sort of signed pledges to not disconnect customers if they couldn't pay, et cetera, et cetera. So we did all these kinds of programs. Uh, the flip side, though, was, uh, and a lot of companies, you know, saw a boom in the pandemic because, you know, people just work from home and then they were buying more things and they had more disposable income and all kinds of different things. And the government assistance was helping. In our case, uh, all of those factors were true for sure. But the bigger challenge was, you know, we are a physical infrastructure company, right? So we had to make sure that our people were safe, but yet going out and in the world and, you know, performing their duties. That included going into people's homes uh, for installing service that was going into buildings for maintenance that was going in, you know, in towers and all kinds of different things for maintenance and upgrades and whatnot. But the most fascinating thing was through this period, and that just kind of tells you how pissed off the consumers are. I mean, you know, people are concerned, global pandemic, you know, people are washing their vegetables and apples and whatnot. Nobody's, you know, touching surfaces, but yet people had us come into their homes to 
uh, you know, disconnect cable and activate Starry. So that was kind of a, a fascinating sort of yeah. thing. Uh, and but that that allowed us to sort of it really kind of forced the company to come come together, galvanize us into action. Uh, and honestly, you know, we, we actually had sort of this, um, you know, period where the capital markets were shut down. You know, we were running low on capital and money mm-hmm. and, and the team just sort of came together and pulled it off, which was just huge for investors to see because uh, that, that just kind of showed the investors the resiliency of the company and the product and the demand. Uh, in a you know arguably one of the most difficult times that we've seen in our uh, in the you know recent past that also created an opportunity for us uh, where uh, Virginia Lam who heads up our government affairs and strategic advancement and she really dove into this and said look you know there's there's gone this is going to create both a, a very meaningful opportunity for us to accelerate the starry connect part of the business which is where we go into affordable housing and public housing because on one side uh, the demand is there and these uh, folks are being you know not served appropriately by existing providers on the other side the government's going to be supportive of these kinds of activities as well mm-hmm. so so yeah. we latched on to that as a meaningful opportunity and we started from you know, in 2019 through end of 2021 we ended up at about 56 57000 apartments in affordable housing wow. where we provide activated the service uh, you know and i think uh, i think as you said in the pandemic exacerbated and and i look at that as less exacerbation more it pulled forward yeah. a lot of what the future right. was going to be um so the reliance on digital technologies for education for healthcare all those kinds of things became a acceleration are there current subsidies for access to high speed internet like there is for you know food or to buy electric cars there's subsidies to grow certain foods right there's there's all kinds of subsidies um and some subsidies are are not even, you know, good for the environment or good for our health or good for a lot of things, right? And this seems like this is good for humanity. So this would be something I, I would feel like would almost be a, of course, not easy, right? But there's a good argument to make to subsidize us in some way. Yeah, um, there are. Uh, so the FCC initially during the pandemic came up with, they've had, they've, had the, they've had these programs like Lifeline and things along those lines historically for affordable parts of the community. But the FCC came out with, during the pan- pandemic, what they call the emergency broadband benefit, which mm-hmm. was $50 a month per family for, you know, towards internet. And then as part of the uh, Biden infrastructure bill, um, they put in a lot of money and made it into a permanent program. And that is $30 a month uh, that a family can have for, uh, and it's called ACP, which is the Affordably, Affordable Connectivity Program. So that allows us to go into, for example, public housing and say, hey, if you live here, it doesn't matter what your credit is, which is an important point to note, right? Because a lot of folks, even though if they have the ability to pay, may have bad credit. But this emergency program kicked off the way where we were able to qualify every public housing that we're going into as designated for affordable connectivity program and emergency broadband benefit programs. So that allows us to serve these folks without imposing credit checks or, you know, hey, were you in default before or this or that or whatever, any of those conditions. And so so I think that things are headed in the right direction. I think there is generally a lot of recognition in Washington, it seems, that, um, you know, broadband is critical and essential. Typically, you know, people, you know, obviously tend to focus on their voter base, right? And so it, it used to be more along the rural part of the country doesn't have broadband, which is true. A good portion of the rural part is is really deficient. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, activity to support that. 
but now with the infrastructure bill, there's an equal recognition, it seems, or at least some recognition that affordability is also a component of access, right? It's not just that, hey, you have it in the city, but you know, at what cost and what conditions? Uh, so affordability has become a good, has become another, you know, important component of these uh, government programs as well. So that, that's helpful. When you first, you know, started to get this, you know, idea, and obviously it is a, a big, it's a big idea, right? It, it's like you said, it's, it's very a capital intensive sector. And to even get into this, you have to have a serious vision and you have to have a serious, serious will to, to tackle this issue. When you were, you know, thinking about doing Starry, did you come at it from a point of view where, the sector is so sort of monopolized, right? And there hasn't been a lot of innovation. This is ripe for a sort of disruption. Or was it looking at the digital divide is humongous and giving millions of people access to the internet is really good for us as a society. It's also good for us as a company and our investors. What angle did you come, or was it a little bit of both? Or I guess what angle, I guess, interests you and the team the most? I think the team, you know, obviously like diverse teams, they tend to have different people that have different passions and interests and things along those lines as, you know, as, as a leader, you're trying to integrate all of those things uh, into a common theme and a common thrust. We really looked at it as saying, okay, the sector has an opportunity uh, for disruption. And one vector that we could accelerate would be the affordable part, Starry Connect. Uh, because that would give us a firm footing going into it to to scale the business, right? So you kind of look at those. I tend to look at the business, or, or really, I think hopefully most entrepreneurs do, in terms of how do I manage risk at a certain stage, right? Mm-hmm. You're taking risk across the board, and which segment of the market risk that I'm willing to take that I have higher conviction in. And our view was, look, the affordable part is going to be a worthwhile risk because um, A, you know, ESG-style initiatives, B, all of those investors also understand that it's because the only time you really you lose a customer in this business is when people leave their apartment, right? And they move out or, or sell their house or whatever that case happens to be. In affordable, these folks are, are more permanent, if you will, right? You're, they're multi-generational households. So you're, you're banking also on the fact that, in, that you're going to have a very long life customer, that, which is going to improve your return as well, right? So it's a mix of all of those priorities that drive it. And some of it was also based on the technological approach we were taking. And now in urban and in, in cities, historically, the challenge for if you're doing a wireline construction, for example, right, meaning you're laying fiber or whatever else, like I mentioned, you're counting on 40, 50% people taking your service. So as a result, what ends up happening, and, and you're counting on them paying you 100 bucks a month, whatever the number right. is. Yeah. When you're doing it wirelessly, you are covering irrespective of uh, you know, so so think of it as kind of a redlining question, right? If you are, if you don't think as a fiber builder that people are going to pay you 100 bucks or 50% of the, this area is going to pay you $100 a month, you're not going to build it because you don't think you're going to get any return, which is what ends up happening, right? So you've got wealthier parts of the city that may have uh, a upgraded network because the, the operator thinks that they're going to have a return and the less wealthier parts of the city will have nothing because they can't justify it or they will have the old phone lines or, you know, one cable company that's gouging people or whatever it is. And when you're doing it the way we're doing it with wireless technology, you know, the signal doesn't really stop, right? And, you know, if it's going to radiate a mile, it's going to radiate a mile and it doesn't really care whether the poor, the radiation is not radiation, but the signal is going over homes that are what kind of income they have. 
right? So that allows you to have kind of your cake and eat it too, where you're saying, okay, I'm going to put my radios up in these areas. There's a mix there. there. There's some wealthier parts, which is great. And then there's certain affordable parts, which is great because I can then go to these folks and offer them a highly you know, effective service at a lower price. So it creates a opportunity set, which you know traditionally wouldn't be available uh, irrespective of a company's intent uh, in that sense. When you talk about the overall sort of you know, mission of, of Starry, you know, the big issue of, of, of connectivity, right? And like you said, we're, we're sort of moving into a world where, you know, COVID just moved us up probably a decade or two, right? <laughs> into what was coming regardless. What what type of, I guess, mission and vision is is scalable, right? Like, I think I, I talked to a lot of, you know, companies where their impact is, it's hard to scale their impact, right? Because they're, you know, and, and while you, you you do have sort of a, a human capital side of it, right, kind of boots on the ground, so to speak, it's really hard to scale impact, right? It's really hard to like get people your your product or, you know, help people at scale or, you know, affect the environment at scale in a positive way a couple more decades out, right? The impact here is, is pretty scalable, right? And, and when we do have, you know, connectivity in a wider range of homes, what does that look like for, I guess, when you were doing, looking at this, did you look at research around like, hey, when a household has access to high speed, like affordable internet, like these outcomes can happen, right? There, there is this sort of an, an, an economic ladder or educational ladder that is reached, obviously, if you didn't have the internet, right? Or, or, or something that is dependable. Have you guys looked at that? Just statistics in general around what this can do to a household and community when we did, and um, you're absolutely right because you know it. it, it you know, COVID has sort of pulled. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a social scientist. Maybe a decade sure. or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there was plenty of data, economic activity data that was available. Even you know, not we weren't consciously chasing that information, but you know, anecdotally, that was certainly available. That look, the you know, economic opportunity is a function of some of these utilities being available to consumers, right? And I mean, you can just see throughout history that's played out, you know, when you had electricity, different things happened and transportation, right, different right. things happened, et cetera, et cetera. And I tend to take a more sort of incidental or gut check sort of view of the world as well, where uh, I'll give you an example. All of Starry's customer support functions are in-house, but they are all remote. Uh, they were native remote as when we started the company. It was all the tools were built in for, to, for enable, you know, cloud-based sort of support infrastructure, if you will. And, uh, you know, that was an obvious extension. You could say, okay, if, if you're able to provide connectivity, um, you just created the opportunity to work from home for a segment of that population that may not have access to transportation, yes. for example, right? Yep. And boy, did you create that opportunity for $50 a month without even a credit check versus if they were to have to go buy a car, right? That'd be thousands of dollars and, you know, they need credit, they need this, they need that. So, you know, that's one dimension. But these were all sort of anecdotal, sort of instinctive, if you will, decisions we made um, because it was, it's kind of obvious. You know, I think I forget which airline first started and they were, hiring, I think, uh, stay-at-home moms, for example, to be their customer care representatives. Uh, and again, that's an interesting uh, strategy because you've got a isolated population base that is uh, that you can employ, right? And you can scale that network of employees because there is a population behavior pattern that is available to you. You know, you look at that in education, same thing. And um, 
you know, I think when we started in this kind of a business, right, connectivity is step one. Ultimately, it's services uh, that matter. So connectivity is step one, devices step two. So for example, we have a partnership with Microsoft that contributes a, a substantial amount of dollars towards subsidizing devices for consumers that are in there, right? So, I mean, great, I have broadband, now what do I do with it, right? I need a laptop or this, that, or whatever it happens to be. Right, right. And then I think the next layer is going to be services, whether it's educational content, or if you, let's say you've got elderly, right? Uh, that are uh, looking for healthcare uh, virtually. Mm. What kind of appliances yeah. or devices that you could put in there, right? Um, so we've done projects, for example, with some of our real estate partners, where we put in voice-activated things in every uh, elderly apartment because, um, you know, that's a great assistance feature for those folks. You know, if you're going to be working, let's say you're a creator, a content creator, right? And you're a 22-year-old kid making YouTube content. It's yep. a great way to, you know, supplement your income or whatever that happens to be. You got a good, robust connection. You can upload lots, you know, 4K video and, you know, get more subscribers and so it's just it's so many dimensions, yeah. um, and as a you know as a creator and engineer, you know one of your biggest thrills and the biggest fear that you have is you're working on something, and and I think this goes to your scaling point a little bit. You're making something which nobody's going to use, or it's going to have marginal utility for people. You know what mm -hmm. we call mm -hmm. in the business. You know we all loosely refer to it as product market fit, right? In this sector, right, that fear is not there because you know ultimately what you're making, people will use. I mean, people. I mean, People use their connection 14, 15 hours a day, right? The challenge yeah. is the opposite, how to make sure they're going to be satisfied for 14, 15 hours a day. So, so it, 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 you know, all of those factors sort of go into sort of planning and thinking uh, ultimately and uh, to make a, and, and it's not just about financial success at the end of the day, right? I mean, it's a well-known fact that none of us are getting out of here alive. Uh, so the question is, who are you choosing to work with? How are you creating value in their lives and your life and your people that you interact with? So a mission like this unifies a lot of, you know, different kinds of diverse people and, and with different spirits to come together because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all looking for purpose in some way, shape or form, right? You talked about, we talked about internet, right? A, a lot, but I guess from a, from a, a layman's, right? Like not everybody knows the, the ins and outs of, of all this. What type of internet is it, right? Comparable to traditional broadband that like, is it on par? Is it like the exact same? Does it have the potential like to be better? Like I guess in comparison um, to to normal stuff that that we know today, it's uh, at par or better. Uh, in the and, and I'll go into a couple of features. You know, typically on your cable connection, you know, when you upload, you you have a much smaller, skinnier pipe going up versus download. So we have the ability, so we do much larger upload speeds, if you will, hundreds of megabits a second. Um, so that's a great advantage for consumers. Latency is another thing, meaning how much jitter you're going to have, you know, you click a button and how fast the response. Now, if you're using a web page, that latency is not that interesting. But if let's say you're a hardcore gamer, you want consistent latency throughout it. So it has the opportunity to be able to, you know, we can control that latency number as well on a customer by customer basis. I think ultimately where all of this is headed is uh, ultimately consumers will be able to personalize their experiences. It could be tailored uh, so that it's, like a YouTuber might need more starry than, you know, somebody that just uses it for, for homework or something like that. You mean like they could kind of scale up or, or down flip or side, you know, you, exactly. Or even if you've got, you know, somebody who's not very uh, IT literate, if you will, and they're, but as a result, 
they need a great customer experience and support right. that allows right. them to, gotcha. you know, yep. Yep. Um, not be frustrated constantly about it, right? Because try calling a cable company, right? Good luck, right? Jesus, yeah. yeah. Hours, hours of waiting on the phone, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there are different kinds of people that have different needs, obviously. And, um, you know, and I think, you know, a modern brand, a modern company that's focused on solving those for different things for different people has that opportunity to, to craft that narrative and the technology that's required to be able to do that uh, from, you know, the ground up. And, and you don't have the legacy problem, right? You built a bunch of stuff that is now out there and you've got to unwind, you've got business practices, you've got, you know, financials, you got this, you got that. Uh, so, so you have the luxury of, not being bound to the the past in that sense. We you know we talked about Microsoft and you know obviously there's you know even bigger giants like Amazon and and others as well. Are you surprised that nobody else has tried to sort of tackle it in the way you guys have, right? Sort of customer service, you know, being sort of paramount, which has you know sort of been you know forte for a lot of disruption disruptional companies in, in certain sectors, really being you know obviously having great tech, but also great you know, customer service. Are you surprised that the, uh, the other people, and does it worry, does it worry you maybe that bigger companies could come in with more brand recognition and just add this as a service for people? Or is that, is it just not, not within their, you know, their wheelhouse? It's, it's, I mean, Google obviously tried with the Google Fiber. Fiber yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, they but that was still realized. digging up the ground though, right? Like Exactly, was, yeah. I lived in this city and it was, they had to, they dig up my, our whole block just didn't sell. It was horrible for like two weeks. Yeah. Um, that's exactly right. So they quickly realized that there was, you know, not a winning strategy. Um, <laughs> you know, these kinds of technologies take years to develop. So, but, but, you know, these guys have lots of money and yada, yada, yada. So presumably they could. But then the second problem tends to be that you need a licensed spectrum. Uh, and that comes in an auction and then goes away. And uh, it takes years for those auctions to come back around with the right bands and yada, yada, yada. So, so you know, as you think about kind of your defensive modes, uh, you tend, you know, you're obviously, you know, continuously building those, but the, but there are some natural defensive modes in this business beyond the technology and intellectual property are, you know, things like Spectrum, uh, which, you know, the wireless carriers tend to own most of it. And, you know, they're not in the business of letting, you know, Amazon or Google into their hen house. When you talk about, cities and we talk about expanding into other cities what's that process like for you know the rest of this year and maybe you know 2023 i guess what other what cities right now have it and down the pipe what other you know citizens can expect this to kind of be in their communities like what does the expansion city-wise look like yes so we um you know, now we're a public company, so you know we don't disclose a lot of those things um, sure, in terms sure. of future future plans. Um, uh, but today we are in Boston. We're almost nine percent of the market in Boston in three years. Uh, so that's a pretty amazing wow. thing. Yeah, we're in Boston. Los Angeles has a large footprint in all of these. Uh, Boston, Los Angeles, Denver, parts of Washington D.C., parts of New York. We just started in Columbus, Ohio, last quarter. So, you know, we will continue to expand and densify those cities and, and continue to drive growth and customers there. And then we have spectrum in about 40 million households in about 37, you know, major cities, if you will. Uh, so we will, you know, start sequencing them in, you know, anywhere from one to four a year that we will start adding. That's and the process is kind of relatively straightforward, right? So we, we basically start with 
the most rawest information tends to be census blocks and, and then lower than that, actual parcel level data. So you know in every city kind of where the apartments are, where houses are, where this is, that is, yada, yada, all you know, commercial areas are. Right. So we then basically take that into our planning systems that you know figure out how where the signal is going to propagate, where you need the towers and sites, which rooftops you need. Um, then we have teams that go out and <clears throat> do what's called SIDAC or site acquisition. So they will go out and you know basically get you know leases done with the tower owners of building rooftops, things along those lines. Last question here would be around the future. And I know you can't say say too much, but as you look at like successes or goals that you would like to achieve, you know, what what are those for maybe you know the next the next decade? As much as much as you could say, but you know, I'm sure you have some successes and goals that, you know, you would like to see happen. Number one, you know, obviously continuing execution. We have, you know, pretty ambitious targets in front of, you know, by 2026, we want to build out like 25 million homes worth of coverage. And we want to have, you know, millions of customers, et cetera, et cetera. So those are pretty tangible, direct goals. Yep. Um, and, you know, I think the biggest success for me personally will be, sort of preserving the brand and integrity of the company through that process. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's easy to get lost in chasing dollars or chasing, you know, whatever targets you have. And so we, we have a, you know, our rule is, uh, you know, everything is decided from the lens of a customer. So we have, you know, we basically everything is centered around customer first. And the second uh, sort of trait that we encourage people is informed bias for action to act. Lots of companies talk a lot, um, but, you know, actually doing it matters. Um, and and uh, and the third is, you know, growth with integrity for us, uh, which is a really important thing. And, and the way I define it is, can you grow the business and continue to grow the business while doing what your customer wants you to do, serving your customer? You know, so the things that we won't do and we don't do are things like, you know, selling customers data or, you know, advertising or, um, even when we market to them, we don't do tracking, for example, right on these social media things or whatever it is, sure. or Facebook, yeah. whatnot. So those are important, you know, things uh, that that I think if we on on the hard side, if we continue to execute and meet our targets, or we preserve these values along the way, then I think it's a it's a win. That's kind of what I'm looking. For. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're super busy. Really appreciate it. I mean. <laughs> It's a it's a really tough uh, tough mountain to, to climb here, but you know you and the team have executed super well so far. So, I mean, best of luck for for the next decades to come, and, and can't wait to see it and to see Starry in more cities. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah.